Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome back to uh, the Beers and Bible Podcast. This is episode number 40. We're 40 years old today. Uh, We're 40 episodes old. Um, I am Patrick. And I'm Rick. And if that felt weird, it was weird for us too. So, so that was that was the first time we'd ever changed our intro. Uh, so you know who we are by now. If you don't know who we are, then well, you need better paying attention skills. That's Rick. I'm Patrick. <laughs> this is the Beers Bible Podcast. Here we go. All right. Um, so, What's up, Patrick? Oh, you know we're this is the end of week two out of quarantine, back in the office and. We uh, actually ventured out to a restaurant uh, last night. I went night. to a restaurant. We went out last night. It was a little weird um, because there was like, it's a smaller place anyway, mm-hmm. and they only had like five tables available. Were they covered up? No, they had they had like they had like signs on them that said "Don't sit here, but you can sit here." And oh yeah, they didn't have the menus out. They had like a QR code thing you could scan and pull up the menus. So. Oh, that's kind of cool. It was, it was it was a different experience, but we don't go there much anyway, so it, you know yeah. it worked out. But, but yeah, so Rona for screwing up dining out. <laughs> I mean, it was as normal a dining out experience as as it could have been given the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So, but how about you, man? It's just been busy weeks. Is all it's been. Of course, for me, I've never actually been in quarantine because uh, I still go to work, but. Uh, but we did, so I actually went to a restaurant for the first time uh, last night, sat down at a table and ate dinner. It was weird. It was foreign, wasn't it? It, it, it really, like, I mean, I haven't gone to a restaurant in now in two months or better. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's one of my favorite restaurants. And I saw a Facebook post that they were going to be opening up and I was like, we're going. I don't care. We're going. <laughs> and so... That's sure. what we did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if this place. Well, I, I guess they did. They did shut down. I guess like sit down because every every mm-hmm. place did. Did they have like to go orders and stuff? I imagine they did. I don't know. We never did to go orders with them yeah. while we were stuck at home. So, but you know, we're life is starting to get somewhat back to normal. Um, it's uh. It's been a very weird couple of months, for sure. For yes. I think for everybody, I I don't think that's just like unique to you and me. But I think it almost it almost feels like we have just like pa- we paused for two months, and now I feel like we should pick back up where we left off. But now it's two months later, 
And so, you know, you feel like the like those people who come out at a, at a weird time and they don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and it's just every and they're so confused by everything. Like that's almost what I feel like. It's funny because like I watch people drive, and I was driving home from work the other day, and typically traffic is not that bad. Well, now that the roads are back open, it's traffic has gotten heavier, mm-hmm. and I saw on one road, I saw all, I saw three different cars almost get in a wreck, and I was like, people are losing their minds because they forgot how to drive. <laughs> So it goes, I actually haven't driven on the highway in at least a month. I've had I've had no need to drive on the highway because my office is uh, in town and I don't have to get on the highway to get there. All the stores that we go to are nearby. The last time I think I drove on the highway was when I went to um, a package store because there nice. was something very specific that I was looking for. <laughs> had to get down there. Yep. So, but I mean... It's just, life is different now, and, um, you know, we're, we're adapting. We're, we're adapting. Things are starting to get back to normal, but it's just going to take time. And so, um, I think as long as everyone is patient with that and doesn't expect everything to get back to normal in, like, 48 <laughs> hours, you know, um, I, I think, you know, as long as people do that, then, you know, everyone, everyone keep a level head. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Here's here's Rick's version to make everyone mad. So all the people who want everything to open immediately, just be patient and let people roll into it a little bit. Yeah. And to all the people who want uh, everything to close down, just get off your butt and go do something, please. Yeah, for real. <laughs> you know, don't stop being scared. You know, it's it's what's funny to me, and 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 I don't want to downplay all of this this uh, the the. Badness, I don't know, the, the it is a, level, it is the a, severity. It is a serious situation the for severity a lot of, of people. This, yes. But, but if you, so, I heard a thing, the other, and, I, and I'll use this as an example because uh, California obviously does the dumbest thing that they can ever do most of the time. So, I heard uh, the guy in California who's, I guess, making the rules or whatever, he said they were not going to reopen Los Angeles County until there was less than one death per week. Okay? Less than one death per week from coronavirus. I was say, the way you worded that is like, they want to eradicate death altogether? If they figure that out. (laughs) Yeah, specifically from coronavirus. So, a a quick little Google search let me know that there has not been less than one death per week of the common flu in Los Angeles County since 1984. One person, at least one person has died every week since 1984 from the common flu. So what you're saying is their, um, their attempt to get the uh, coronavirus down to less than one death a week is not likely. Probably going to be a pipe dream is what I'm saying. And, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I understand protections. I understand, you know. We need to be cautious, mm-hmm. but at some point, your caution is just stupid. Yeah, I, and I saw something. It said, um, "You know, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was a woman that tweeted it. She said, my husband, we're in our fifties. He's got diabetes. We're going to be careful when we go out. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to limit going out. We're going to work from home. We're going to wear masks if we have to go out. But that doesn't mean that the entire state has to shut down for us. Yes, exactly." It's more about, it should be more about personal responsibility than the government telling you how to live yes, your life. Exactly. Because I don't know if you know this, but every time the government steps in to tell people how they live their lives, uh, bad things happen. Bad things happen. 
Just so, go ask people in Germany mm-hmm. from about 1933 to about 1945. Yeah. It was just this guy in that time range. Is, yeah, with a funny mustache. I forget, I forget and... his name. Yeah, he had the, the mustache and the, the weird hair. And uh, Anyway. Anyway, so. <laughs> we didn't mean to get political there, but we did. So. <laughs> but we did. Sorry. So what beer do we have tonight? So tonight we have on tap the Rebellion Red Lager. From the Yellowhammer Brewing Company in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so it's a red lager. Um, I found out from uh, Rick over there that the Yellowhammer is the state bird of Alabama. Heck yeah, it is. So that's kind of cool. So I'm assuming, is that a yellow bird on the can? Yes, yes, it okay. is. So the Yellowhammer. Yellow- a yellow hammer? A yellow bird, yeah. <laughs> the bird is actually called a yellow hammer. <laughs> so there's a yellow hammer bird on the can. It's really simple. It's red. It looks a little bit like um, red man chewing tobacco. Like the yeah. cans, are, cans of red man is what it looks <laughs> like. Um, let's see. It's got 18 IBUs. ABV of 5.4%. Uh, on the can, the description just says, Rebellion does not conform to style, inspired by German brewing tradition, but a true American hybrid. This beer blends German imported malts and domestic hops for a crisp, malty lager. Nice. And I like a lager. I don't know if we've... I imagine we've covered that. I think we determined that last week when both of us gave the I Think Therefore I Amber 5. Yes. Luther's each. Yes. So, I'm excited about this one. It's another... Uh, Unknown Brewery. This is the first time we've done the Yellowhammer. Uh, Yellowhammer Brewing. So where where are they in Alabama? Because the the other one was like the South Alabama. Yeah, Huntsville is. Hang on, I can tell you. Huntsville. I wonder if that's near Greenbow. Isn't that where Forrest Gump was from? Forrest Gump. <laughs> I'm from Greenbow, Alabama. Great movie. Um, so Huntsville is actually in North Alabama. North Alabama, okay. Yeah, it's up uh, pretty much, I mean, it's just up, just south of the Tennessee line, so. Um, so we went to the south, now we're up to the north, mm-hmm. basically covering all of Alabama here. Yeah. So They have some pretty fun names of other beers on theirs. They have an IPA called Cheatin' Heart. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued, we talked about this one before we started recording, the T-minus. T-minus is, Colch. Is inspired by Tang. They don't say Tang, but they it's definitely inspired by Tang. Nice. So. That does look kind of fun. Yeah. Maybe we'll try to find another. If this one's good, we may try to find another uh, yellow hammer. All right. So tonight, so, so uh, pre-rate, based on the information we have, go ahead and give Rebellion Red Lager uh, so, a pre-rating. A pre-rating, I'm going to go, I'm going to go four. I'm going to come in at four because I know how I tend to, to like loggers and especially red or dark darker amber style mm-hmm. lagers so i'm gonna come in at four and see see how this happens okay um i'm also gonna pre-rate at four um i think that just shows how similar you and i are um i do like these i do like a lager um and i just i also just enjoy beer so the odds are pretty good that this is going to get at least a four <laughs> before i even before we even open it i'm before we even open it i'm saying we're probably going to get fours out of uh, at least out of me so yeah well let's crack them open and see how we do 
See if we can uh, see if we're good with our pre-rating. Here we go. One, two, three, crap. I love that sound every week. That's a good smell of beer. That is a good smell of beer. And and I'm just gonna say this smells a lot like the uh, the I think therefore I amber from last week. What if we just got like this brewery's version of that? We, it's, I mean, it's entirely possible we did. This, if it's not as dark. Thing up, it's not as dark. And it's got a different consistency. Yet, yeah, it does. This one looks a little bit more like Yingling. Just in color. Yeah, I see that. Smells a little bit more tart. It's almost, like, it's almost got a little bit more fruity smell. Mm-hmm. Than the Yingling, Yingling did. I don't remember reading anything about fruit anywhere, but that doesn't no. mean anything. Well... We might as well, we've got them poured up, so we might as well turn them up and see how good they are. Let's go for it. So, Yellowhammer Brewing, here we go. Rebellion. That's a little bit different than I was expecting. It's very different than I was expecting, but dude, it is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, it is. That taste at the, like, at the very, very end... Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I don't know how to describe it except other than delicious. <laughs> it is delicious. Mm. Scooby Doo comes out this week or something like that. So, Robo Raggy. <laughs> I was going for Yoda, but you know, oh. never mind. whatever. Yeah. yeah, I thought about Scooby Doo. So this is pretty good. Yeah, that's a really good beer, dude. It is. It is. You know, you know what it kind of tastes like to me, and it tastes like the. We keep comparing it to this, comparing beers to this one, but it's the most unique one we've had. It tastes like the bread from No Crust. Yeah. Without the peanut butter yeah. and jelly. Without the peanut butter and jelly, yeah. The consistency is there. Yeah. It's got that that consistency of mm-hmm. the No Crust. Yeah. Um, which was one of the major factors in giving it five was, was it was just so smooth and so good this is a really smooth beer yeah this um it's I, not heavy like if you if i if you blindfolded me and put this in front of me and then gave, gave or you gave me this and, and also water i don't think i could tell the difference <laughs> like that's <laughs> how good or bad that's how smooth they are that's how smooth mm-hmm. it is yeah <clears throat> so you want me to go first or you want to go first sure go ahead all right so this is Yellowhammer Brewing, and I'll be honest, I, I was not like it's got the con- it's got the texture and the consistency of a lager that I like. It's got the the it's it's almost like it's rich, but it's still somewhat light. Um, so if I were if I were uh, you know post cutting the grass or something, I would definitely enjoy this. If I'm grilling, definitely going to enjoy this. With de- I mean this. This is almost like a uh, Swiss Army knife of beers. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of those kind of beers. Yeah. You know, there's there's a few of them that are out there that are like that. This this could end up being one of those because it's not heavy, but it's not too light. Um, it's not super rich that you kind of just feel like you have to sip on it, but it's also not so dull that you feel like you have to chug it. Mm-hmm. And so this one, the balance of everything seems to be right right on point. Um, I I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go back to back weeks of five Luthers with this thing. <laughs> that is, that's impressive and a little concerning, I think, because 
I don't, I don't know if you've maybe you've gotten a little soft or something. Um, I might have. I don't know. You have. You are traditionally a um, hesitant to give fives for anything. Really, this this will be the third five that I no the fourth five that I have given out overall. Okay. So I gave no crusts. No, this yeah no crusts. I gave toasted lager, mm-hmm. and then I, I gave last week. I drink therefore I amber. Um, those are the three that I have given five. So this is number four. Okay. And you're only two ahead of me. This is, I think this is going to be number six for you. No, one, two, three, four. Two, three, four, five. Yeah, this will be number six for you. If you give it five losers. Now, you may not. I don't know. So, it is really good. And, like, I want with my soul to give it a five. <laughs> but, like, in my head, in my mind, an amber is should be a little bit thicker. Should be should okay. Be, should be a, it's it's almost too light for me. Okay. Yeah. It feels a little bit like um like seventy five percent amber mm-hmm. or lager, and then like twenty five percent pilsner. Okay. So um, I printed it for. I think I'm going to give it four and a half liters. Nice. I think that's where it's going to come in. Okay. Um, it's just, it's just, it, it's the it's, the flavor is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the texture is really good. It's just a little bit too light for me as far as lagers go. I'm I'm looking for something just a, and I'm talking just a smidge heavier. Okay. But I mean, once you've had forty beers and you've reviewed them. <laughs> You can start being nitpicky about about, I guess your, about your parameters for giving out fives. Does that make us experts now? I don't know if it does or not, but um, so I'm going to give it four and a half liters out of five. It's a very good beer. I would highly recommend it. I'm just gonna I can't is, I can't quite give it. It doesn't quite have that thing that pushes it over the top. Yeah. I don't think, let's see, I'm trying, I'm looking back to our list. I don't know that I've ever, one time, one time, I gave Tiny Bomb four and a half, and you gave it four. That's the only other time I've rated something higher than you have. Is even, 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 even. Big Wave, you've rated higher. Oh, okay. So, then that one, let's see, high, even, even, higher, higher, even, even. This, this is boring to our listeners, I'm sorry. Yes, it is. <laughs> you might need to go in and cut this out. Um, now, there's not very many that you've rated higher than me. No. So, but, and, and look, but, and, and we all know that I have, uh, I have a bias toward loggers. I like loggers better. I like a little bit more variety in loggers than you do. Um, the same way that you're going to rate an IPA or um, mm-hmm. something, you know, something that's a little bit more bitter, you're going to rate it higher than I am most yeah. of the time. Yeah. And so, so, you know, this, this, and that's, I think that's what I like about this beer is I feel like this beer is in my wheelhouse. Like this is, this is a, a, a Fairhope Brewing, I think, therefore Amber, this is a Yingling, this is a, this is a root um, beer. Yeah, a to- I mean, the Toasted Lager is the other one I gave five. This one reminds me of the Toasted Lager okay. from Blue Point Brewing. So, so I mean, this like this is my wheelhouse of beer. This is what I like. And so, that's, I, I mean, 
it's weird, and and I I, I feel weird giving back to back five losers because you know I'm I'm trying to be a little bit harder, but mm-hmm. so, I'm just impressed. So, not up until tonight, neither of us had given beers back to back fives. Negative, negative, negative. Whatever I'm trying to say, negative. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Neither of us had given back-to-back vibes. Um, nope. So, it's, uh, again, it's very good. I'm not saying that it's not. Four and a half is still a good show. Yeah, four and a half is, a, I mean, remember, we keep I keep saying like four to five is great beer and highly recommended. Three to four is yes. good, not great. And if we ever rate anything below a three again, because um, it's been a minute, I mean... You rated Caleb below three, um, yep. but before that, I don't even know. So it's uh, you know, three to four is good, not great. Four and above is is a great, highly recommended beer, and I uh, would definitely recommend the Red, Rebellion Red Lager from Yellowhammer. Um, if you can get your hands on it, go for it. Go for it. Get it. It's in Alabama, so I'm assuming North Alabama. So any place near North Alabama. You should be able to find it. If that's your thing. So, there you go. Yellowhammer, good showing. Mm-hmm. Good showing. Yep. And, uh, there. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Uh, I'm impressed. I'm still kind of impressed with it. Um, now we're going to move on into Packers Concise Theology. We're going to continue a little bit where we were last week, but we're going to talk specifically about the two sacraments that we talked about last week, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper, so hang tight. Here we go. Welcome back. We are going to discuss Packer's Concise Theology. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper Mm. and hopefully not get any more controversy going on. Although, I can start some controversy real fast right now. Well, given what I read about from Pat, you know, what Packer said, there's a, there is potential for some controversy. There is, and and I'll just come out and say it. Uh, I love my Presbyterian brothers in Christ. Uh, I have a lot of Presbyterian friends, and you guys need to quit sprinkling your babies. Don't baptize your babies. Just just stop it, please. From your fellow Baptist brother, please stop it. <laughs> there, I created the controversy. Now we can move on. <laughs> it's all right. So, um. So, let's talk about baptism. Let's talk about it. Um, so, Packer, Packer describes baptism as the rite that exhibits union with Christ. And rite is R-I-T-E, so ritual. Yes. The ritual yes. that exhibits union with Christ. Um, Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Um, I think we've probably all heard that, like, especially when you see a baptism, they explain what it is and how it symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection. Um, But I imagine 
I mean, you might be surprised to find that that comes directly from Scripture. That whole that whole bit comes directly from yes. Romans six. Yes, bear with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. So yes, um, it's it is a somewhat controversial topic when you talk about dunk versus sprinkle. Baptized as a kid, but come to know Jesus, so do I need to get baptized again kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so... And I'll, I mean, props to Packer. He throws it out there, man. He's just yeah. like... I mean, I, I, it was funny because you up until this point, he's just kind of been subdued. Just giving you general overviews of stuff. And this week he was like, these people do this, those people do that. I mean, they're justified. Maybe they're not justified. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he just yeah. throws it out there. It's just kind of like... Here's what it is. And and to be honest, I mean, I'm going to classify baptism as a secondary issue. Baptism, unless you are Church of Christ, baptism is not essential for salvation. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to I'm going to put huge asterisks around that because even though it is not essential doesn't mean it's not commanded by God. Baptism is absolutely commanded by God mm-hmm. and you need to follow through with baptism. Yeah. It's it's, um, a, it's a it's a question of obedience at that point. Yes, because exactly. because you know, come to know Jesus, get baptized. That's the that's the flow of things in the New Testament. Yes, um, but there's also examples of people who come to know Jesus who don't get baptized. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The thief on the cross. Yes, that Jesus said. You'll be with me today in paradise. paradise. Well, he was it, never it, baptized. Yeah, it wasn't like they didn't get down from the cross and Jesus go into the sea and baptize them and get back up on the cross. That didn't happen. So we need to pause the crucifixion here for a minute. Can we yeah. hold on so I can go baptize this guy? Yeah. Can I? Can, can we put a pause on saving all humanity real quick? I gotta baptize this guy. So, um, so it's not like it's not necessary for entrance in heaven or salvation, but it is necessary for obedience. Yes, it is. And, and, and that's where, I mean, if you've ever, ever been to a church of Christ and, and again, I appreciate my church of Christ brothers. I think they're erred in, in a few aspects of their theology. They're, they're way off, but, but I still love them. Um, they, they will literally, if somebody in, in a worship service or in a service, uh, professes Christ, I mean, they will literally stop the service, baptize the person right then. And then go on with the service because they, I mean, they, they hold to the belief that you are not saved until you are baptized. That's like the, the finalization of your salvation, hmm. uh, in, in their theological camp or whatever. Um, but, but it's, it's important to understand that bapti- baptism is something that is ceremonial. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it's a sacrament. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and it being ceremonial here in just a second. But baptism carries meanings, these these types of meanings, this ceremonial meaning, because it is fundamentally a signification of our union with Christ. And so um, this, this plays out, this act plays out as a representation of what your heart has undergone. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why baptism in the New Testament is so often related to circumcision in the Old Testament. Right. Um, Paul does this in Galatians. Uh, Paul does it a lot of places, but but the the in the Old Testament where you had to be baptized, uh, or I'm sorry, where you had to be circumcised in order to basically become uh, a Hebrew, and and the the Israelites and the Hebrews were 
ethnically marked by the act of circumcision. I mean, it, it was, you know, that was what happened to, to say this person is a Jew, this person is not a Jew, this person mm-hmm. is a Jew, this person is not. I mean, it was an ethnic mark uh, on them in, in that time. And so it carries that. That's actually one of the main things that leads our Presbyterian brothers to to hold to the idea of infant baptism, or in theological circles, you call it pedo baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, what you would do is is the child was born, eight days, you circumcise, and so it wasn't something that you asked the child, did you want to be circumcised, or you do you put your faith and your trust in the circumcision? And, and, you know, and, and then when they do that, then you do it. it. It's, it's, it wasn't that it was, it happened. And that circumcision was a mark of your ethnic identity. Mm. And so they, it, it, uh, had, it had as much, it had more to do with your ethnicity than it did with your, the spiritual being of your heart. Exactly. Exactly. So what are reformed or Presbyterian, a, a lot of reformed now, and, and there is a difference, a reformed Baptist would hold to believers baptism, whereas a Presbyterian, which is just kind of another aspect of reformed theology, um, they're going to hold to pedo-baptism. Uh, where, they, where they translate that is because it was done by the whole family and it was meant to show their entrance into the covenant community, in the New Testament, that's how you show the entrance of your child into the covenant community. Now, um, and this is where I think a lot of a lot of kind of bystanding Presbyterians get the wrong idea. They think just because their baby has been baptized, well, that's it. He's good. You know, she's good. We don't need to do anything else. No, you. The 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 circumcision in the Old Testament was just the mark. Then the parents had to follow the Deuteronomy 6 command of raising their children in, in the instructional Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about it when you rise. You talk about it when you lay down. You teach your kids. You show them the ways. And it's and that's the means by which that child comes to, comes to faith. Now, right. um, I, am, I am okay with somebody doing an, uh, a baptism or, or a uh, baby dedication, you know. Baptists, we really don't we really don't hide it much. We just call it baby dedication instead of baptism, and we don't sprinkle them with water. We write, wipe oil on their foreheads. Um, we do, but <laughs> some some Baptists do. I say I've never seen that, but that don't mean nothing. <laughs> some Baptists, some Baptists do. Um, and and so you know the the whole idea of it, the whole aspect of it is that you are setting that child apart. And so when you take your baby in for for dedication, or if you take your baby in for baptism. And you say, this is me setting this child apart so that I know I have to teach this child the ways mm-hmm. uh, of Scripture. I have to teach them the ways of God. And, and this is my commitment to that. If that's the way you're going to approach pedo-baptism, which, caveat, that is not pedo-baptism. That's baby dedication. Um, then, then I'm okay with that. you know. But you still have to drive the children, drive your children mm-hmm. to the point where they profess Christ. As their Lord and Savior, they make that statement of faith, and yeah. and and I'll even agree that it is a statement of faith that God puts into them, um, and and so you you have that, but when you push them to that point, when they get to that point where they make that statement of faith, I believe that is when that that child needs to be baptized and actually identified in union with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, 
Quick question. Have you ever done a, have you ever dedicated one of your children? Yes, I have dedicated both of my children. Yeah, so, so the church we were at, we dedicated our son, and it was, they, the, the feel of the event, the feel of the night was like, this is less about the child and more about the parents committing yes. before their family and other families in the room and all that kind of stuff. And it was a, you had to sign up to go. It, was like, it wasn't like a church-wide thing where everyone yeah. saw, you know, the parents committing to raise the kid up to, to follow Jesus. Um, but it was very much a commitment of the parents to to teach the teach their children the, the ways of the Lord and to to be the examples of Jesus in their homes. Yeah. Um, I never, I never thought of it as a like quote quote unquote dry baptism like Packer, like Packer. Yeah, Packer. Talks, yeah, uses, he calls baby dedications dry baptism, yeah. which I mean. <laughs> I mean, essentially, that's what they are. It's essentially what they are, and then when the child comes to know Jesus and gets baptized in water, that is the the wet baptism or the wet. Yeah. Uh, what was the word? Yeah. Kind of, anyway, so wet confirmation is the yeah is the is the term he used. So yeah. So um, let's touch on the uh, the sprinkling thing you talked about a second ago. <laughs> so so Packer actually says. Um, in in the chapter, he says that there's no prescription of a particular mode of baptism that can be found in the New Testament. The command to baptize may be fulfilled by immersion, dipping, or sprinkling. All three modes satisfy the meaning of the Greek word baptizo and the symbolic requirement of passing under and emerging from cleansing water. But you I would you would agree. argue you but you agree. I agree that Packer is right. So okay, you um, agree that Packer is right. You just don't agree with Packer. Well, okay. Um, I would agree that Packer is right that the word baptizo carries more connotation and more syntactical. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, weight. Weight. Yes. Uh-huh. Than something like that. I mean, that's 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 essentially it's it's wider the the semantic range. That's what I'm looking for. The semantic range of the okay. word baptizo is wider than. To dunk. Um, I had a professor in college, and and he taught systematic theology, and and he when we got to the topic of baptism, he said, "I am an immersionist. I believe that you should immerse under the water, uh, and you should you know be held there until you can't breathe anymore in the water. You know, but you know you should be fully dunked under the water." He was an immersionist. He said, "But the the word baptizo." in every context does not mean immersion. And so you can't say that that is the only prescribed version. And and I I can't tell you how many times I've heard Baptist ministers get up in the pulpit and say, the word baptizo means to immerse. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. You need to go back and you need to study Greek instead of making stuff up that you're hearing from people. Because, yes, the word does mean immerse. That is one definition of the word. Mm-hmm. But it does not always mean to immerse, and and we tend to Americanize the Greek language, whereas Americans we have typically will have one definition for a word, right? You know, yeah. Um, there there are a few instances where where we use a word in different um 
different contexts. Mm -hmm. You know, I love green beans, but I also love my wife. So do I feel the same about green beans as I do my wife? No. When you say when you say something like that, it means you really, 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 really like them. But if they went away, your life wouldn't be over. Exactly, exactly. And so we we don't need to hold on to one definition of the word baptizo in the Greek because there is more than one definition in the semantic range of baptizo. And so it's okay for somebody to say, "Well, I think I should sprinkle." Okay. That is an acceptable reference for the for the word baptism, mm-hmm. um, and and so, you know the the whole and and again this goes back to the ceremonial nature of baptism. Are we trying to get a specific act, or are we trying to get what the act represents? You know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to just say, you know, this is about identifying and representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then. It doesn't, ha- I mean, it doesn't have to be immersion 100% of the time, you know. Right. And, and, and uh, this is where I would actually disagree with some of my Baptist brothers because they put so much emphasis on it having to be immersion that they lose the spiritual aspect of it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so, so I'm, I'm just, what I'm trying to say is quit being so dogmatic about something that is not dogmatic. Yeah. I, I do agree with you that the mode of baptism is going is ultimately a, a second tier issue. Um, it is an issue that has divided the denominations for sure. Um, yeah. But you know there there has to be some some le- not leniency in the seriousness of it, but leniency in the mode of baptism yes. in situations where it's it's difficult for some you know. You got a 95-year-old lady who can barely walk. You're going to make her walk up a flight of stairs to get to the baptistry to get down in the water? Yeah. You know, like, well, and, and, and say you can't, you're, you're not obedient to God's will if you're not, if you haven't been baptized and she's had her hips replaced twice or yeah. whatever, whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, so, so I'll give you a real life example of this. I had a, uh, at a church that I served at, we had a guy who wanted to be baptized, but he... For for whatever reason, he could not be immersed in water, and and really he had a, he had a, a physical aversion to water. Um, he couldn't take showers, uh, and so he he actually like he had to have somebody come in. He was he was an invalid, but he had to have somebody come in and, and like sponge bath him. Not because he was an invalid, but because he could not physically get wet without having a. Re- I mean, for for the purpose of our story, he was allergic to water. Okay, okay. that sounds weird, but he was allergic to water. Okay, so he expressed the wanting to be baptized, wanting to identify with Christ, and but he could not be immersed. It was it was unsafe for him to be immersed in water. Okay, so you're going to tell me that we're going to hold so close to that that we can't baptize this guy with, by sprinkling him, by sprinkling a little bit of water on his hair and then immediately drying it off, mm-hmm. you know. No, I am absolutely not going to tell that guy that. And luckily, our pastor didn't tell that guy that at that time. Right. He said, we will find a way. We will do this for you because, you know, and, and it, they uh, they talked with him and they made sure that he understood what baptism represent, what the meaning of baptism was, mm-hmm. why he was going through baptism. And he understood every bit of it. You know, I am identifying myself with Christ. I am telling the world that I'm turning from my sins. I am 
uh, uh, you know, I'm a new creation, and, and, and that's where, you know, that's where Baptists get all of their weight is they say, well, you know, baptism is the idea that you, you've been buried and then you're ris- risen into new life. And so when you go under the water, that's the dropping off of all of the old. And then when you come up out of the water, you're, you're wet from head to toe, so you're like a new creation. If you've been baptized, I understand you that. are. Yeah, I mean, I understand that and understand the symbolism behind that. But what I'm, what I like to say is, you know, don't let your symbolism dictate what scripture says. Right. You know, mm-hmm. let your, let scripture dictate what your symbolism means. And so, so, you know, if, if, if a person cannot be baptized, then, then by all means sprinkle them, yeah. you know, uh, I would encourage people to be baptized by immersion because I believe more, more times than not, uh, baptizo refers to immersion. And, and that's why I'm an immersionist, because more times than it doesn't, it refers to bat- baptism as an immersion. And so I'm okay with, with being immersionist, but if somebody says, you know what, I'm not, and I just want to be sprinkled, okay. As long as you understand what baptism means, and as long as you understand what you're doing when you go through baptism, mm-hmm. there's no problem here. Yeah. We have nothing We have nothing further to fight about, I guess. And, and it just seems like so many churches... Because I, I know of churches that will, if you if you went to a Presbyterian church and you were baptized as a believer, we can putting aside the Pado and believers baptism debate. A person who was sprinkled in a Presbyterian church after they became a believer, if you came to a Baptist church, they would not accept your baptism. That to me is ludicrous. Right. You know, there's nowhere in Scripture that 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 position is defensible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, the, the only I mean, the only cases where I could I could see defending to a point like the need to be baptized again is like an infant's baptism, where there's no um, repentance, there's no yeah. understanding of what's going on. Um, but, and I would say the exact same thing if you went to a church and you were baptized in a Baptist church and you were immersed as a kid mm-hmm. and you didn't understand it yeah. and you didn't know and you didn't comprehend it. And later in life, you said, you know what? I understand this now. I understand the gospel. I am submitting to the gospel. At that point, I would say you need to be baptized. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't make me an Anabaptist. It, it, the The biggest group of, of people who were persecuted for this was the Anabaptists because they insisted that you had to be rebaptized. They called them rebaptizers is what they called them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, as... As we think about baptism, as we talk about baptism, it's important to understand that that baptism is symbolic, yes. Baptism is a sacrament, it's a rite, yes. Um, But it's not something that is flippant in the New Testament. Paul talks about baptism a lot. You skip over to, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Paul Paul really there equates baptism— with a uh, like an uh, uh, an unequally yoked couple, mm-hmm. okay, um, and he says he says if if one person becomes a Christian, um, I'll just I'll just read what Packer says in, in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. Paul resolves the question of whether God accepts a marriage in which one partner is a Christian by invoking the certainty uh, that the children of such a marriage are relationally and covenantly holy. That is, they are dedicated and accepted by God in company with their one Christian parent. And so in in the in the defense of pedo baptism, they would say he would say, you know, 
if one parent was lost, uh, that doesn't negate the fact that the child, you know, was baptized legitimately or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. he, he in this in this section he's defending he's defending pedo baptism. Um He's defending it in the in the instance of one saved parent, one unsaved parent. Yeah, exactly. And so but you but you parallel that to somebody who may have been baptized as a kid. Uh, maybe they did, maybe they didn't understand that. Uh, their parents talked them into it, whatever it was. And and fast forward, and, and now, you know, they, they come to a true confession. Does that person need to be rebaptized? Not necessarily, but you need to talk to that person and figure it out. Mm-hmm. You need to, you know, you need to address that with the person. Do you believe that you understood what was going on back here? Because that would be, I mean, I, I mentioned this last week. That's kind of my story. Mm-hmm. When I was baptized at a young age, uh, you know, I didn't understand everything, but I knew that after that point, I understood what conviction was. I understood when I was doing right and wrong. I under, you know, I understood those things, and I knew what the gospel was about. So that has less to do with, like, a full grasp of the symbolism of baptism and what it represents and what it, you know, it being, um, like, an Ebenezer. Mm-hmm. You know, stone it, of remembrance. Stone yeah. of remembrance. Like that's, you know, you can look back on your baptism, and while you may not have understood at the time what it, you know, what it symbolizes, what symbolized or what it meant, mm-hmm. it is an Ebenezer for you, where you say, "My life up to this point was like this," and after that, even though I may not have fully understood why, my life looks like this now. Yeah, yeah. Or even though, even though I was, because I would tell you that after my baptism. You know, I, I would say that I still wasn't fully 100% committed to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, I understood it. I understood what it meant to be 100% committed. Um, and, I, and there was conviction in my life. I mean, when I disobeyed my parents, I was convicted about it. Um, but but it wasn't until I came to a point where, where I said, no, this has to be 100% or nothing. Um that I said, okay, no, I am going 100% because I remember what I did back then. I remember what mm-hmm. the commitment that I made back then, and I am committing to that. I'm, I'm fully committing to that commitment. So, you know, at, at that point, and some people may disagree with me, but from that point on, I have not been rebaptized because I believe that was a true conversion baptism, and, and that whole process in between that was all part of my sanctification process. Mm-hmm. So, so in my, so would you say like your if I mean I don't know if you remember the date but that was your date of salvation? Um, you know I'm not real big on on I, the date of salvation. I don't. I honestly I don't remember what day it was. But, but, um, I mean, but would you say like on from that day forward I was saved? Yeah, I would say that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and from that day on it was God willing and working in my life to bring me to the point to where I am today. You know, he, he did all of those things through the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, I would not have been able to articulate it then that it was God sovereignly working in my life, but I can look back and I can articulate that now. Gotcha. And so, I don't know, maybe your story is similar to mine. Maybe you're, you know, I was never, the bad kid who did drugs and, you know, went out to parties and all this kind of stuff. I was never that kid. I was always the good kid who went to church. But I was still not living the way that I should have been living mm-hmm. a lot of times, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so, you know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. 
Right. Um, but there is that aspect of conviction and the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Right. So, yeah. That's all. Anything else we want to talk on about baptism? I don't know. I think we, I mean, that's, that, that's a lot to digest. And yeah, we didn't go in order of Packer. We kind of hit on, on a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that Packer talked yeah. about. If you read it and you have more questions, send us more questions because, yeah. because baptism is, again, it's one of those really deep subjects. It's one of those really, um, complex things that a lot of, I mean, that we, argue about and it's okay yeah. to argue about these things it's it's okay to discuss them and maybe you disagree with me maybe you think pedo baptism is the way and and you know uh maybe you think you have to be dumped let me know you know let us know we want to yeah. hear your case we want to understand your argument yeah and, and again it's i you know like we said this is a we believe that baptism to be a second tier issue yes um it is an important issue and you need to know where you stand on it and be and be solid in that but at the end of the day we believe that's going to be a second tier issue that's i mean yeah not as important as some other things yeah when it comes and, to the and, gospel in case in, in case you you've heard us talk about this before and we talk about it a lot the difference between first tier issues and second tier issues it doesn't it doesn't negate the importance of second tier issues but what it means is a first-tier issue is specifically gospel and salvation-related. Mm-hmm. The the fundamental things that you have to believe, and, yeah. and this is I've said this before. You, I, I hold that you have to believe the Apostles' Creed, bare minimum, everything in the Apostles' Creed. Um, past that, we can discuss it. Uh, everything past the Apostles' Creed, we can discuss. And so, you know, do I believe baptism is in the Apostles' Creed? Yes, you know, uh, I. But the mode, the timing, all of that is not in the Apostles' Creed, you know. Um, and so I think baptism is, a, is is important for obedience, for, you know, a, a representation of salvation. But it is not the act that saves you. It is not something that brings that brings right. you to faith in Christ. Right. That has already happened, and it's a representation of that faith that is already there that has been implanted by the Holy Spirit. Right. Yep. So... So there's baptism. What else are we going to talk about tonight? So uh, we're going to move now into the Lord's Supper, which is the uh, the rite that exhibits communion with Christ, which is, I mean, the Eucharist. The Eucharist. Um, so, I mean, it, communion, the Lord's Supper, um, whatever you call it, it is the, the taking of the, the bread and the juice or the wine in an act of remembrance of what Jesus did for you on the cross what he has done for you and what he's what he is doing for you mm-hmm. um all the time it's an act of worship you know Pack, packer it makes that pretty clear from the get-go that it's an act of worship that is that takes the form in a ceremonial meal um not a meal to fulfill hunger or you know most churches it's like a, it's like a quarter shot of grape juice and uh like a really paper thin wafer but Usually all they do is make you more hungry yeah Usually, like, I, I had the Lord's Supper, and that should be sufficient, but I see that buffet over there, so I'm going to go hit that golden corral when we're done here. You are obviously a good Baptist. <laughs> you know, I try. So, um, but yeah, in, in you know, it, it comes down to, it, it should be a regular ritual in your church. It, it should be something that happens ceremonially church-wide um 
we've talked about it in the past, you know, whether it's quarterly or weekly or once a year or whatever, your church should, should be doing communion, you know, on some regular basis. Yeah. Um, and that might look in person, in corporate worship. In person, in corporate worship. Um, train of thoughts gone. <laughs> That happens all the time. So, I, it, so, it so when we record these, I don't know if you can tell, but it's like at the end of a day. And we have... Because we always say, welcome this evening. Yeah, so we have jobs that drain us physically and mentally. <laughs> Mostly mentally. Um, Mostly mentally. So anyway, so... Back to what we were talking about. Um, so yeah, so question. Had you ever been in a church, and this isn't like a big deal, this isn't... Uh, I don't think Packer ever discussed wine versus grape juice in, in the chapter, but have you ever been in a church that actually served wine for the Lord's Supper? Yes. Uh, actually, the church I'm in now does. Um, oh, that's We good. use wine. We use wine. Um, we offer both, and mm-hmm. the wine we use in a common cup, uh, which is everybody drinks from the same cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have the individual uh, shot glasses of grape juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we allow people to, to act according to their conscience on that. And so, um, you know, everybody weirds out about, you know, common cup and, and germs and all that kind of stuff. And you guys probably won't use common cup for a while after this COVID thing. Probably not the next few times that we do, um, communion, we won't, um, just, just out of courtesy. Um, but the, the interesting thing about common cup is it's realistically, it's actually more safe because, um, the way we do it is, is, and it's the way that most people would do common cup. You have one person who serves it and they, they serve the juice and then they have an alcohol wipe that they wipe right where they serve and they rotate the cup. Mm. Uh, so I didn't so, say that cause yeah, never... you're constantly, if you've ever seen the priest, if you've watched a Catholic, cause Catholic masses are kind of the big ones that use wine, Episcopals, they always have that towel or that, that, uh, towel over their hand. Typically that towel is, uh, moisturized with alcohol mm-hmm. so when they wipe the cup they're literally just wiping it with pure alcohol and it kills the, the whole point is it kills the germs okay. and it's supposed to be sanitary yeah um, so so that i've been i think i've partaken in communion in like three different churches two of them was you, you break the bread and dip the dip it in the juice mm-hmm. but i don't think the juice was wine i think the juice was juice yeah. And then I've also we've also done the the little individual shot glass things that you have to wrestle with to get the bread out. And, and <laughs> you break Jesus's body, and you're like, "Well, dang it! Now what? I killed him again. I broke his broken body. What in the world? I'm such a sinner. <laughs> What's going on?" So that Packer doesn't discuss that. I was just curious, no. you know, curious what your experience was. So yeah. So I've done I've done it uh, multiple ways, and and I appreciate the churches that do offer that because because it allows for for people to express their conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not they're not forcing their conscience on the whole exactly body. Mm-hmm. exactly. And so uh, you know something that I have learned over the years um, through schooling and all this kind of stuff is actually the relation. And and the first time I heard it, it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like. I feel like I've been lied to my whole life because I never knew this, but it seems so basic. So Passover actually comes, or I'm sorry, the Lord's Supper actually comes from Passover. Mm-hmm. It's a direct extension from Passover. Yeah. And and if you if you go back and you study um, First Temple uh, Judaism and Second Temple Judaism, 
you under, there's differences in the way that they celebrate the Passover supper, but Passover is typically celebrated in the spring. Um, and it's, it's celebrated around the week of, of the passion of Christ or the, the death, death week of Christ. And what happens is before at the beginning of this Passover week, the, the disciples and, and it's the betrayal, the betrayal is actually the institution of Passover, mm. which is crazy. You know, because Jesus does this with his, he does this, uh, this ritual or this, this, uh, exercise, this feast of the Lord that's commanded in Leviticus all the way back in Leviticus. He's partaking in this with his disciples and he looks at him and he says, um, I will not partake of this last cup until the kingdom comes. Now, if you know anything about Passover, if you studied Passover, there are four, what they call four cups. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to try to, it's been so long since I've, I've done this because I haven't done a Passover in a couple of years. So we have the four cups in, in the Passover. And each one of the cups is, it, it kind of carries a title or it carries a name. So the first one is the cup of sanctification. Um, the second one is the cup of judgment and the, and then you have the, um, the Passover meal, the actual eating of the meal. Then you have the third cup, which is the cup of redemption and the fourth cup, which is the cup of praise. So what happens in the Passover meal where, where Jesus is with his disciples is, is he comes in and, and at the point where they're coming to the third cup, the cup of redemption, um, Jesus never actually partakes in the third cup. Hmm. And so, and he, and he says, I will not partake in this cup until the end until, and basically in the end of time, the second coming. And so you have Jesus saying, I'm not going to take the cup of redemption because I am going to be your redemption. Okay. All right. And then the fourth cup is the cup of praise. And so for, for the disciples, they take the cup of praise. They have this praise because Christ is their redemption. And then uh, there's a there's there's not a lot of documentation of this, so I don't want to speak too authentic or you know say this is authoritative or anything like that. But there's this idea of the fifth cup, what they call the fifth cup of Passover, and that is the cup of God's wrath. And so they would say uh, that Jesus bypasses the third cup. And instead takes the fifth cup okay. and, the, and he takes the fifth cup in our place. Okay. And, and so, so when we, when we take the Lord's supper, this is what we are remembering. We are remembering that he took the cup that we deserved. He took the cup of God's wrath. He took the death that we deserved. He died in our place and we in turn get the cup of redemption. You know, that makes sense because in Luke, um, let me get a good version of the Bible pulled up here. Um, that sounded wrong, but, um, <laughs> but it's Luke twenty-two forty-two, and Jesus is praying in the garden. And this, if that helps it make sense. What you said about him taking our, the cup that we should have taken, mm-hmm. because he says, it says that Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yes. So Jesus knew that that cup was the cup of wrath yeah. that he had taken. That's, and that's where, I mean, that's where it comes from. This is him praying in the garden. And, and so the, the point of the Lord's Supper, the point of the Eucharist is the remembrance of 
what he did in our place. Mm. Okay. So, and, and, and that's, this is one of the reasons that I love to celebrate Passover because it's a constant reminder of what he, and you walk through this whole thing. And if you've never done a Passover, an actual Passover Seder meal, I would encourage you to do it. Um, but, but you, you have Christ taking this cup that, that we deserve and, and being our sacrifice and in place of us getting the cup of wrath, which we deserved, we get the cup of redemption. Mm. And, and, and so we get something we don't deserve, which is right. mercy and grace. Right. And, and how much more perfect presentation of the gospel could you get than, than observing that, seeing that played out in a Passover meal? This is where Jesus left. This is what Jesus did. He took the wrath of God so that we could have the redemption of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you know, the Lord's Supper is more than, and I, you know, I grew up Baptist. We did the, we did the Lord's Supper once a quarter, whatever it was, and I always thought it was kind of fun. And, but you, you know, we really need to do a better job of teaching the depth and the importance of the Lord's Supper, because mm-hmm. when you get that depth and you get the importance, you understand what it means. And it, and it, I mean, it's sobering to think about, right? You know, and that's why, that's why the Lord's Supper. I think the Lord's Supper needs to be guarded extra. If you're not in right communion with God, you do not need to take the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's sin in your life, you do not need to take the Lord's Supper. And and um, so we, you know, we need to be on guard as a church to protect the sanctity of this the the Lord's Supper. Yeah, you know, and and I think that's where a lot of people who do do that they we would say they get bent out of shape and and i understand their frustration they're trying to protect the sanctity when they see you know folks using uh saltine crackers and coke and they're like oh we're doing the lord's supper with saltine crackers and coke you no you're not mm-hmm. no you're not you know show a little respect you know show show a little sanctity to what this actually represents yeah um and so so you know if 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 salting crackers is all you have, then man, try your best to say this is all we have, so we're gonna have to use this. Mm-hmm. But I want you to realize what's going on here. Yeah, you know, um, what else? What else does Packer talk about? Let's. I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this to you. Packer gives the difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. So. Those are fun words. Um, <laughs> so it's two of my favorite. Yeah. So transubstantiation is really um, this thing that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, has affirmed that means that the bread and the wine physically transform into the substance of Jesus's body and blood upon yes. like when you when you take the when you take the Lord's Supper it transforms into Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood. Yes. Uh, Super weird. That's ludicrous. Um, it's, it's, also, it's, it's very, very close to what Luther believed. Well, I, I think, mean, I mean, unfortunately, I think Luther is, might be a little cuckoo on this one. Um, <laughs> I am definitely team, team Zwingli on this one. Yeah, for real. <laughs> no cannibalism for us, please. Um, so... But Luther believes, um, or he would never have said this because he didn't like the term, but this consubstantiation 
which means that Jesus' body and blood come to be present in, with, and under the form of the bread and wine. Which I'm not really sure how that's different than magically transform into his. Yeah, it's basically transubstantiation light. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's trying to be a little bit different so that you can say, well, I'm not uh, a Catholic or I'm not a papist. Mm-hmm. Um, which, more times than not, sometimes Luther just didn't want to be a papist. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was like, what did the Catholic Church do? We're just going to do the opposite of that. Uh, yeah. Um, but so. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting take and I I appreciate Luther's willingness to try to stay as close and, and I mean understand that, that Luther never wanted to buck the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. He just thought the Catholic Church needed to be reformed. So he didn't necessarily disagree with transubstantiation. He just thought it needed to be tweaked a little bit. Yeah. You know, and that's where consubstantiation came from. Yeah. Um but, but then you have Zwingli coming in. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think Zwingli has has this much more figured out than anyone else intended. <laughs> um, so Zwingli just says that the idea that Jesus, now glorified in heaven, would be present in any way, bodily, physically, or locally, um, that that's not... Like, Jesus has no need to, to do that. It's, it's basically an insult to his glorification. Yeah, like, why why in his glorified form would he choose to to allow his flesh and his blood to be transformed from bread and wine? Yes. So, um, and then Calvin comes in and says that the bread and wine remain unchanged, uh, but Christ through the Spirit grants worshippers true enjoyment of his personal presence. Which yes. I really think uh, Calvin hits it, says that very well. Yeah, that it's like you were saying the the opportunity for to take the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, and in a in a like a physical like appreciation and and of what He's done for us, an opportunity for us to remember. Um, and then it's, it shouldn't be something that we enjoy doing. It shouldn't be like a, mm-hmm. oh, great, we got to do Lord's Supper again kind of <laughs> thing, you know? Um, it, it should be it should be an enjoyable, joyous time for, for yeah. you as a believer of Jesus and as the church in general. And I think yes. that when this whole coronavirus thing is over, I think we might have said this in the last couple of weeks, I think there will be a ton of churches doing communion on the reg for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, ho- I, I hope so, at least. I mean, that's... That would be my hope is that churches take an opportunity mm-hmm. that they've been out and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to go back and we're going to simplify and we're going to do things a little bit differently now. Um, you know, I, I can I can pray for that and I can hope for that, but mm-hmm. but you know, it's it is as much as I want to say, you know, we need to we need to be culturally relevant, we need to be culturally uh, engaged, and those things are important. I don't think the church needs to culturally engage to the point where they lay aside the, the formality of, of what they're doing mm-hmm. on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think and, and it, it's going to be interpreted different by everybody, but I think there has to be a way. And, and this kind of goes back to us talking about the church last week or last couple of weeks. Um, you know, what, how does that flesh out? Well, we see it today flesh out from everything to, a Catholic mass, which is as high church as you can possibly get all the way to, you know, churches like elevation, which are 
essentially rock concerts uh, with with a guy who stands up and screams like a petulant little child, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for thirty minutes or whatever, and and there's no spiritual content at all, you know, and and so where's the balance? I don't know, you know, I can't say from you know first opinion six five that this is the exact place where we need to have the balance, but. You know, I think you need to just weigh everything that your church does and say, are we doing this in in reverence and in worship of God? Mm-hmm. And are we doing this for the betterment and for the glory of his name? Mm-hmm. Or are we doing this to draw people to our church and trying to make a name for ourselves so that we can be bigger and, yeah. and do it under the guise of taking the gospel? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a dangerous place for churches to be, for sure. And, and, and also, I mean... You you may you may disagree with with what we're saying. You may think that elevation does a great job of of preaching the gospel and and doing things for their community and and being a solid example of the New Testament church. I would encourage you to read the New Testament again, but yeah. <laughs> but um, at at the end of the day, that's that's a decision that you have to make for yourself as a believer. What you know, what church you're going to be a part of. And if you can, if you can be behind what they do, yeah, and how they do things, instead of listening to what a church says about scripture, read scripture and, and apply that to the church. Yep. Find out what that church does. Yep. And because a lot of times, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who who are are adamant about this, and I can, and I and I'll just point out a few little things, and I'll say, what about this, this, and this, and how does that line up with these scriptures? And then they'll come back to me in a few weeks and go. You know, I'd never thought about that, but but I really appreciate you showing that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of those. It's just one of those things where the the authority in our life needs to be scripture, and and the what we we talked about this a long time ago is called the perspicuity of scripture, the clarity of scripture. That doesn't mean that we perfectly understand it because we are fallen, mm. but that does mean that scripture is perfectly clear in everything that it intends to communicate. And and so so, just because we can understand it doesn't mean that scripture's fault. That means it's our fault, right? And we need to do, and we need to do better. And so, yeah. you know, take take your Bible, read it, understand it, study it. You know, I, I encourage you to study it. Uh, and if you have questions, if you feel like, man, I don't know how to answer this question, find people, yeah. talk to them, discuss your hard questions with yeah. them. There's no excuse for not being inquisitory about. Yeah, about what what you're reading, whether it's the scripture, um, really that's where your authority should be coming from. But if you're reading a, a pastor's book or something, and they, they say something and it doesn't quite, you know, doesn't line up with what you what you think, then yeah, I, I, get 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 somebody that you know knows more than you do. Yeah, and 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 hash it out, work work yeah. through it together with them. And every uh, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, you know. Theology is for pastors and seminarians. Wrong. Right. Theology, Theology is, for is for is for Christians. Mm-hmm. It's your job as a Christian to to learn theology. You know, and I'm not saying that you have to have all the answers. You know, but you you should at least be learning something mm-hmm. on and, a daily or weekly basis. Yeah. And, and the the thing is, like this side of eternity, no one's going to have all the answers. Yeah. Even yeah. even the the holiest holy preacher, you know, the John Pipers and the Robbie Zacharias and 
in, in those guys, Billy Graham didn't have it all figured out. Yeah. Figure, figure those that are the one guys, out. Those are the guys who were the first to admit it, too. Your Robbie Zacharias's, your Billy Graham's, your John Piper's are the first guys to go, I am a frail and broken creature, and it's entirely possible that I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, but you but you sit back and you listen to those kind of guys because of their wisdom in dealing with the scriptures as long as they have been dealing with the scriptures. Yeah. So, there you go. There's the Lord's Supper. We kind of deviated there at the end of the Lord's Supper, but but I think it was a it was a apt conversation to have about the sacraments because uh, so many times churches put the sacraments kind of on this side pedestal um, where they say we'll get to those when we need to, and realistically they they need to be a little bit more front and center. Uh, you know, there 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 is a reason that baptistries used to be in the middle of the church, mm-hmm. you know, right right in the dead center of the church and. And so, you know, if your if your church has a portable baptistry and it's off to the side, that's not a slam at your church at all. Um, but but you know, that is, we need to get back to the importance of baptism. We need to get back to the importance of the Lord's Supper and what that represents in the daily life of a Christian. Yeah, agreed. So, well, if they want to find us on the social medias, where would they do that? We are on the Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. You can connect with us on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Beers and Bible Podcast and look for our logo. You can look for our logo at, um, on all the social medias. You can also send us an email. We are at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. And feel free to connect with us. Um, suggestions for beers you'd like for us to try or any questions you have about anything we've discussed or anything that you've come across that you would like to, to learn more about. And who knows, maybe we could all learn something together. Um, we're getting close to the end of Packer. I know we keep saying that, but it's, <laughs> I just did a quick count. We've got 15 more sections, which so we, I mean, we, we have just a couple of months left in Packer. Maybe. I mean, we, we might be able to knock several out in a couple of weeks. It's possible. <laughs> so, you know, maybe by the time our podcast turns one, which is coming up soon, that's that's exciting. We're going to be yeah, one year old soon. What? We should have a party or something, but we should. We probably won't. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll we're we're getting close to needing new topics to discuss. So, if you have any ideas or any suggestions that you'd like to throw away, you can send us those at any of our social medias or at our e- uh through our email. So. So until next week, we hope you enjoy your beers. We hope they're cold and delicious and refreshing. And we really like the Rebellion from Yellowhammer. Mm-hmm. So good uh, good work on that there, Yellowhammer Brewing. Yep. But until next week, uh, have a great one. Enjoy some cold beer. And we will see you later. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.